Meet Joe Black. It's a uh, film based on a play by Albert Casella. The main character, played by Anthony Hopkins in the movie, is a man named Bill Parrish. And Bill Parrish is a super wealthy CEO, businessman with a good life on every level, including daughters who love him. And Bill has it all, but he doesn't appreciate any of it until he comes face to face with Joe Black. Face to face with death. Joe Black suddenly appears in uh, Bill's Manhattan corner office. After some executives uh, leave his office, he grips his chest in pain of a sudden heart attack. And while he is wincing in this continuing uh, suffering of a heart-stopping moment, Joe Black calmly explains to him that he should be dead right now, but that he is going to give him a little extra time to live. And this brief encounter with Joe Black is the turning point of Bill Parrish's life. He finds himself on the carpet of his corporate office, on his knees, fully aware that he should be a dead man and that he has been given the gift of a little more time. And with this second chance at life, Bill Parrish is able to put his work in proper perspective. The corporate backstabbing that used to tie him up in knots now just makes him chuckle. Uh, with this second chance at life, he goes off to appreciate, really appreciate the people in his life. Bill goes out of his way to express love to his daughters that move them to tears of joy. And the moral of the story is that you know, you don't really start living until you meet Joe Black. That sometimes when you come face to face with your death, that's when you really start living. A man faces death and he's transformed when he's supernaturally given some more time. <laughs> Just Hollywood fantasy stuff, right? No, the Bible says that this actually happened. The Bible says that King Hezekiah was a good king over God's people in Jerusalem. He did what was right in God's eyes, and he really did try to honor God with his life. And maybe as a, fa a favor to uh, a guy who had uh, lived well, God came to King Hezekiah in the person of Isaiah the prophet. And God told Hezekiah that his life was about to end. Through Isaiah, God says, get your affairs in order, king. You have a terminal disease and it will soon take your life. Hezekiah's reaction was immediate and intense. As soon as he heard his news, the Bible says that he fell down and he wept bitterly. And then he got up and he faced the wall in prayer. Uh, Facing the wall means that Hezekiah got up off the floor and went to the wall that faced God's temple and began to pray fervently to God. King Hezekiah began to weep and beg God to heal him, and he continued in this prayer. And as a result, God sent Isaiah back to King Hezekiah to tell him, Hezekiah, I have heard your prayers, I've seen your tears, and... Well, I'm going to heal you, and I'm going to give you another 15 years. You can imagine Hezekiah's reaction. Uh, he was leaping in the air saying, thank you, God. 
In fact, Hezekiah was so overjoyed that he wrote down his feelings and what he learned from his near-death experience. And what Hezekiah wrote is a, it's like a journal entry. And these lifelines have been preserved in Scripture because God wants to reach out to me through Hezekiah's experience. Hezekiah had a near-death experience that became a near-life experience because it brought him nearer to God's plan and purpose for his life. And now, through the lifelines that Hezekiah penned, God wants to give me that same get-nearer-to-real-life experience. So please turn your Bible to uh, Hezekiah's journal entry, which is found in Isaiah chapter 38. Uh, Hezekiah's journal entry appears in the book of Isaiah because Isaiah was the prophet who got the word uh, from God about Hezekiah's short time to live. So the first eight verses of Isaiah chapter 38 describe the details of uh, Hezekiah's face-to-face encounter with death. Then Hezekiah's journal entry begins at verse 9. And we'll study Hezekiah's words in two sections. Uh, The first section is kind of the bad news part where uh, Hezekiah learns the bad news about his illness. And then the second half is the good news part. Uh, The first section goes from verse 9 to verse 14. And it's Hezekiah's reaction to the bad news that he's about to die. A writing of Hezekiah, king of Judah, after his illness and recovery. I said, in the prime of my life must I go through the gates of death and be robbed of the rest of my years. I said, I will not again see the Lord, the Lord, in the land of the living. No longer will I look on mankind or be with those who now dwell in this world like a shepherd's tent my house has been pulled down and taken from me like a weaver i have rolled up my life and he has cut me off from the loom day and night you make an end of me i waited patiently till dawn but like a lion he broke all my bones day and night you made an end of me i cried like a swift or a thrush i moaned like a morning dove my eyes grew weak as i looked to the heavens i'm being threatened lord Come to my aid. You catch the drift of what King Hezekiah is saying here in this first section. Hezekiah is describing his emotional and spiritual reaction to learning that he is about to die. And his dominant reaction is regret. He's filled with regrets over what is unfinished in his life. In verse 11 He expresses regret about what he's leaving unfinished in his relationship with God. I will not again see the Lord, the Lord, in the land of the living. And then in verse 11, he also expresses regret about his unfinished business with relationships with precious people in his life. Uh, In verse 12, he singles out his family and particularly his children and grandchildren when he says, My house has been pulled down and taken from me. Because you see, in Hebrew idiom, the house of Hezekiah was not his dwelling, it was his family. Then also in verse 12, Hezekiah expresses regret about leaving the unfinished business regarding his work 
in the world. He says he feels like a weaver who has spent a lifetime on this tapestry that is now just being cut off the loom before it's finished. In verses 13 and 14, Hezekiah uh, says that when he thought about his life coming into end, he was regretting his unfinished business with God, his unfinished relationships with family and friends, and his unfinished work in this world, and it led him to moan like a morning dove. And all this morning came as the result of learning that he had a short time to live. And I don't want you to moan, but uh, I do want to ask you to do something that the Bible encourages you to do over and over again. I ask you to listen to God telling you that you have a short time to live. Maybe you can even get specific. Imagine if God sent a prophet to you and told you that you have 10 days left. You've got 10 days left to live. Go ahead and do it. You know, we don't believe in jinxing and superstition around here. This is a healthy exercise. In fact, this is an exercise the Bible encourages me to do over and over again in the pages of Scripture. How do I know? Well, we're in verse, uh, we're in chapter 38 of Isaiah. If you just go two chapters forward to Isaiah chapter 40, uh, God tells the prophet Isaiah to cry to me, to you, to everyone about we, how we have a short time to live. Isaiah says, I cry out to all the men and women and say, you are like grass and all your glory is like the flower of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall. Because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass, but the word of the Lord stands forever. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus gets in the act. Jesus says that uh, we're all like a man who has stocked, piled up so much food and so much money that at one night just uh, put his feet up and said, Now I'm all set. And that very night, God said to that man, You fool! This very night, your soul will be demanded from you. And you will lose all this wealth. It will be given to someone else. And you will wish that you were rich toward me, God says. Over and over, the Bible tells me to imagine that I only have a short time left to live. And sometime, I'm going to be right. So right now, imagine that God's telling you that you only have 10 days left. It could be true. Don't let that scare you. But uh, allow it to make the exercise seem real like it was to Hezekiah. If you are doing a good job of imagining, you have some reactions right now. Uh, When Hezekiah came face to face with death, he lamented and regretted what was unfinished in his relationship with God, people, and his work for God. There's something about facing death that gave Hezekiah a moment of clarity. He was able to recognize immediately what was important in life and what the important things were that he had left unfinished. And at this moment of clarity, he received the understanding of exactly what he needed to do when he, get this, when he got this extension of 15 years. Now, as you imagine, having only 10 days left to live, what are your areas of deepest regret? Whatever they are, take note of them. And get serious about them. Because whatever the areas are that would bring you the greatest regret in death, these are the areas that deserve your immediate attention in life right now.
Next, Hezekiah's tone changes uh, starting in verse 15 as he goes into the good part of the story where he celebrates his second chance at life. Uh, Verse 15. But what can I say? He has spoken to me and he himself has done this. I will walk humbly all my years because of this anguish of my soul. Lord, by such things men live and my spirit finds life in them too. You restored me to health and let me live. Surely it was for my benefit that I suffered such anguish. In your love you kept me from the pit of destruction. You have put all my sins behind your back. For the grave cannot praise you. Death cannot sing your praise. Those who go down to the pit cannot hope for your faithfulness. The living, the living, they praise you as I am doing today. Fathers tell their children about your faithfulness. The Lord will save me and we will sing with stringed instruments all the days of our lives in the temple of the Lord. These words are so full of joy and love for life. And these words are profound. And if I apply these lifelines from Hezekiah, they will change my life. King Hezekiah begins by reflecting on what his near-death experience taught him in verses 15, 16, and 17. He says that he really didn't start living until he met Joe Black. Or as Hezekiah puts it, uh, Lord, by such things as my encounter with death, people really begin to live. Surely it was for my benefit that I suffered such anguish. So Hezekiah's encounter with death gave him a whole new appreciation for God, for the people in his life, and for the gift of life itself. And as I study Hezekiah's lifelines, I see him summarizing the transformation in one word. Humility. Hezekiah was humbled by his near-death experience. It was not a negative humiliation. It was a very positive reality check for his heart and mind. Hezekiah summarizes this in verse 15 by saying, I will walk humbly all my years because of this anguish of soul. And in the verses to follow, Hezekiah gives some indication of what he means by walking humbly. First, Hezekiah indicates that his new life of walking humbly means that he is replacing old prideful attitudes with a new gratitude toward God. A woman had a parrot. And the good news is that this parrot could talk. This parrot could talk a mile a minute. The bad news is that whenever this parrot talked, this parrot only complained. Walk, the room is cold. Can't you afford heat in this place? Walk, the food tastes stale. Where'd you get this bird seed? Walk, my water has things floating in it. Walk, complain, complain, complain. And one day the parrot was walking around the kitchen counter just complaining and complaining and complaining. And finally the woman just had had enough and she snapped. And in a fit of frustration, she grabbed the bird, opened the freezer door, threw him in the freezer and slammed the door shut. And as soon as she did it, oh, she, she 
she slammed the door to the parent, and she just felt awful about her action. And she collected herself for a few seconds, thinking about what she was going to say and apologizing. And then feeling awful, she opened the freezer door, and shivering, the parrot walked out. But before the, mo- the woman could just say anything, the parrot said, I d- 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 deserve that. I apologize for my critical attitude. Uh, my con- constant complaining uh, was wrong. And from now on, I will strive to uh, be very thankful. But if I may, will, will you allow me one question? Whoa, 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 whoa. What did the chicken do? <laughs> I, just, I like that. <laughs> Uh, and uh, in a way, Hezekiah had an experience like this parent. Uh, my guess is that Hezekiah was like most kings, and that like most kings, he had a prideful, royal attitude problem. Uh, my guess is that Hezekiah grew up a pampered prince and then became a privileged man who was jaded and critical about things that were not royally perfect around him. And our God is love and he doesn't slam people in the freezer. But Hezekiah's near-death experience did change him like it changed that complaining parrot. We have no psalm of thanksgiving from Hezekiah before his death encounter. But after, we have this explosion of praise and thankfulness and gratitude to God. Where Hezekiah says in verse 19, The living, the living, they praise you as I'm doing today. Hezekiah gained a new appreciation for the gift of life. And he became so grateful and so thankful that he really started living. Like I said, God loves me and he would never throw me in the deep freeze just to scare me into appreciating the beautiful things that he gives me in life. But I think God sees how I hurt myself through my prideful attitudes that lead me to complain and grouse and gripe and critique my way through this One and only life filled with so many good things. And God wants to save me from that. And so God throws me a lifeline here in the words of Hezekiah. And he calls me to the kind of gratitude that would lead me to write psalms of thanksgiving every day. But complaining is not the only prideful attitude, is there? I mean... Uh, Well, Hezekiah Hezekiah indicates that his new life of walking humbly means that he is replacing old prideful attitudes with a new appreciation for God's forgiveness. Hezekiah says in verse 17, In your love you kept me from the pit of destruction. You have put all my sins behind your back. And these words come in the center of Hezekiah's psalm. And it is clear that his appreciation for God's forgiveness is the springboard for all the praise and thanksgiving that he is expressing. And God wants me to learn from Hezekiah's lifelines that experiencing God's forgiveness is the center of the true life that he wants me to enjoy on this planet. 
When I ignore God's forgiveness, I miss both the joy of God's love, but also I miss the release of all my guilt. But failing to absorb the meaning of God's forgiveness also has another cost in my life. Uh, Frank Minereth and Paul Meyer are two Christ-following psychiatrists who have multiple clinics around the nation uh, dedicated to applying psychiatric science within a Christ-centered environment. And I heard uh, Minereth and Meyer interviewed recently, and they explain how they have seen an exponential rise in people coming to them with what they call burnout. And by burnout, they mean that these people are not clinically depressed, but they have lost all joy in life. They are emotionally exhausted, spiritually drained, and virtually you know, void of life. And after treating 10,000 patients, uh, Minerith and Meyer have found the number one cause of this kind of burnout. And they say the number one cause is not what they would have expected. Uh, they would have expected, number one, to be physical depletion. Uh, but overwork and underrest is number three as a cause for burnout. Minerith and Meyer also thought that internal stress would have been the uh, first cause, but uh, this driven personality and the stress of negative response to crisis was the second cause of this burnout. With a background of over 10,000 cases, Minerith and Meyer say that by far the number one cause of burnout is what they call bitterness. Minerith and Myers say that most of the people that they see who are burned out are people who have been hurt by someone or uh, by something. But it's not the hurt that rips the joy out of their lives. It is unresolved anger that burns them up. And they are emotionally exhausted because it takes a lot of energy to hold a grudge. They are spiritually drained because God says in his word that an unforgiving spirit is toxic to our souls. Minners and Myers say that sometimes these people burn up with unresolved anger toward God because of something that has happened uh, bad in their lives. But most often these people are holding a grudge against a parent or they refuse to forgive a friend or an enemy or they have unresolved anger toward a spouse or an ex-spouse. And in all these cases, the only cure for this burnout is for the person to learn how to walk humbly. The cure is to humbly receive God's forgiveness and then reflect that forgiveness out to others. And this is just one example of how a healthy relationship with God is the key to healthy relationships with the people in my life. And how a healthy relationship with God is the key to life itself on this planet. And this leads me to one more thought about Hezekiah's resolve to walk humbly all the days of his remaining years. Hezekiah indicates that his new life of walking humbly means that he is replacing old prideful attitudes with a new love for God himself. Recently I, I read a book. I'd like to share a little bit about uh, with you. Uh, I read a book uh, by Billy Crystal who is a well-known comedian and uh, 
film actor, and it was about his growing up years with his father. The book is entitled 700 Sundays. And reminiscing of his time growing up as a little kid, he writes this. My dad worked so hard for us all the time. He held down two jobs, including weeknights, weekend nights. The only day I really had alone with him was Sunday. My dad would come home like 3, 4 o'clock on Sunday morning after working all weekend. As the sun came up, I would tiptoe over to my parents' bedroom, which was right next to my room in the back, and I would quietly open the door just a little, and I would sit in the doorway waiting for my dad to wake up just to see what we were going to do together that day. I couldn't wait for Sundays. I couldn't wait for Sundays with my dad. My dad died suddenly when I was 15. I once calculated that I had roughly 700 Sundays. That's it. 700 Sundays. Not a lot of time for a kid to have with his precious dad. Billy Crystal's favorite person in the world was his dad. The person he most loved to be with, the person he most loved, was his dad. And now Billy Crystal looks back and sees that because of all the long hours at work and school, all he really had with his dad were 700 Sundays, where the first Sunday was the day that Billy was born. In the book, Billy goes on about what he would give to just have one more Sunday. He would give all his money and all his fame and all his success for just one more Sunday. He'd be the happiest man on earth if he could just have one more. Well, Hezekiah was a man who was given one more Sunday. In fact, Hezekiah was given 15 years' worth of Sundays to spend with his children, uh, which he mentions in verse 19. But, you know, he mentions his kids only once. The person that Hezekiah, his, the favorite person that Hezekiah mentions over and over again in this psalm is his heavenly father. Hezekiah rejoices Because his near-death experience gave him a whole new appreciation for his relationship with God. Hezekiah has a new love for God and awareness of the importance of spending earthly time with his heavenly Father. And through Hezekiah's lifelines, God is reaching out to me. He's reaching out to you. God wants to spend every day with me. But the Bible teaches me to reserve Sunday as a special day with my Heavenly Father. And only God knows how many Sundays I have left. The key to everything in life is a healthy relationship with God. As you get to know Him, He is your favorite person in this life. Only God knows how many Sundays you have left. There's a real good chance there's a lot less than 700. Through Hezekiah, God is throwing you a lifeline. Don't miss it. 
God loves you. And He doesn't want you to waste one day of your life. God is calling you to make your life count by calling you to a renewed joy in a relationship with Him. Don't miss God's lifeline. Because life is so short. And God is so good. Would you please stand now as we close? I'd like to just give you a few seconds of silence uh, between you and uh, who I hope is your favorite person in this world. I'd like to give you a a moment with your Heavenly Father. And uh, my guess is that He's said something to you uh, in these moments together. And I wanted to give you the opportunity to just, in the quiet, respond to Him. And what it means for you to not waste Uh, your short time here on earth in preparation for the eternity that you have with him. Would you just uh, maybe spend a a few seconds here and just respond to him. Listen to him and respond uh, about what this is going to mean uh, in your relationship with him. God, thank you for loving us so much that you throw out to us a lifeline today. Thank you for reminding us of the gift of life. Thank you for reminding us of precious people in our lives and and how we can't waste uh, time expressing love and getting relationships right and, and getting right on the inside with people in our relationships. The Lord, most of all, thank you for reminding us that uh, there is nothing more important in this life and the next than a relationship with you. So, Lord, help us to number our Sundays aright and to really key in on what it will mean for us to, to just deepen in our friendship with you. And we pray it all in your name, Jesus. Amen. See you next time.